the insurance industry is the backbone of the economy. It's the reason we're able to take risks, and it's the force that helps put us all back together when disaster strikes. So in this podcast, I'll be spending some quality time with key CEOs and leaders to ask them how certain world events can impact the insurance industry and how the insurance industry is impacting the world. We'll also be talking about how they rose to the C-suite. It seems like no one grows up yearning for an insurance career, but here we are. I'm Meg Green, Managing Editor of the online insurance magazine Insider Engage, and this is CEO Perspectives. By their very nature, insurance companies are risk takers. They measure risk, they take on risk, both through underwriting and investing assets. How well they manage their risk points to how profitable they will be. Our next guest is very comfortable with the idea of risk and may have one of the most interesting backgrounds of any insurance CEO I've met so far. Spoiler alert, I know of no one else in the C-suite with a national security background in counter-narcotics. Joining me now is Juan Andrade, President and CEO of Everest Re Group. So Juan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Meg. It's good to be with you. Can we start at the beginning? Can you tell us about your childhood? Where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? So I was born in uh, Bogota, Colombia, and um, we moved to the U.S. when I was 10 years old, and I grew up in Miami. That's where we lived uh, up until I went to college. And you studied journalism in college. Is that right? I did. I, I wanted to be a writer, and so I went to the University of Florida and, and studied at the journalism school. Uh, and ended up getting a degree in journalism and political science. Uh, but I wrote for the school newspaper. Uh, I wrote for United Press International back when they existed. And I also uh, wrote for a newspaper in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, what did your parents do? My mom was a homemaker. She, uh, she took care of us, made sure we stayed out of trouble. And my dad was a, a research scientist. He originally was um, an MD, a doctor. And then realized that um, he didn't like the patient interaction all that much. He preferred more sort of the clinical research. So he ended up getting a, a PhD in biochemistry. And his work was really on alternative food supplies. Um, you know, he helped to develop the concepts of fish farming and shrimp farming, uh, particularly for developing uh, countries and developing economies so they could have a sustainable food supply. So he was very much interested in that and I think very much ahead of his time because this was many, many years ago. Did his work influence your work? It, it's interesting. I, I, he always wanted me to go into the hard sciences. So I think uh, he was a bit disappointed when I decided to go the liberal arts route. But what he always instilled in us was really the uh, the, the perseverance, um, the focus on education, the focus on hard work. And most importantly, and I still carry it to this day, is to focus on international issues, international affairs. Uh, he was very much of an internationalist himself. He worked for a multinational company, lived in different places. And to me, that was fascinating as a young man and still is to, uh, to today. And uh, what was your first entry into the insurance industry? I sort of took a long way to, to get to the insurance industry. Um, I wanted to be a writer. And so what I really wanted to do was be a foreign correspondent. And uh, I decided that um, the best way to do that was to go to the best grad school that I could get into, study international economics, international affairs, and then the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times would pick me up and then um, I'd be a foreign correspondent. I learned that's not how the world works. <laughs> but along, along the way, um, I became interested in other things. Uh, I ended up going to the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies in Washington, D.C. 
um, got a master's in, in economics. The great thing about that school is that you're taught not only by academics, but also by practitioners. And I was very impressed by a lot of the government officials who uh, would come in and, and teach us. And so eventually, I ended up working for the U.S. government, and uh, I worked on uh, national security issues, and this was back in the 80s and uh, early 90s. And so it was really uh, in the waning days of the Cold War, frankly, some of the proxy wars that were taking place in El Salvador, Nicaragua, that sort of thing. And eventually, I ended up working in, in counter-narcotics as the rise of the cartels really took hold. And so I spent time in, in Latin America working on those kinds of issues. But after a number of years, it became difficult to do. My wife is a lawyer. She's a litigator. She was in court all the time. And when our first child was born, um, we did it for 18 months. And then it became a question of, um, all right, who's taking care of John now? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'd be gone for weeks, sometimes months, and she'd be in court. And so she made the difficult decision to then stay at home, and then I had to get a, a job that paid better than what I was getting paid by the government. And so I moved into the private sector. And so what brought me into insurance was pure serendipity. What I was thinking about is, okay, I speak languages, I've lived overseas, I have an advanced degree in economics, and so I figured a multinational company could use my background. And so I applied to different industries and eventually to insurance, and that happened to be AIG. They basically said, come to New York, we'll train you in insurance, and we'll send you back overseas. And so that's how I ended up in, in the insurance industry. So I came to New York and went through their underwriting training program. My first assignment was in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico with AIU Caribbean. Before we leave your government background behind, could you tell us briefly what was the nature of your work? Yeah, so I, I did uh, a couple of different assignments. So my last assignment was with the DEA. Um, I was also part of the Office of the Secretary of Defense working on uh, Latin American issues. And a lot of what we did was basically try to identify where the bad guys were and then help local governments be able to to take action against them, essentially. So that's probably uh, the, the best description I can give you. And you have a lot of interesting hobbies. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. I, I've always been a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. So... Um, I started jumping out of airplanes when I was 18 years old um, at the University of Florida, and I kind of stuck with it. So I've been doing it uh, for a number of years. Um, and so I have a lot of jumps. I've jumped uh, essentially all over the world, and it's, it's something that I really enjoy. I'm also a pilot. I started flying in 1992, and, um, and I love it. But in addition to that, I also like um, uh, ultra-endurance sports. So I've been doing Ironman triathlons for years. I've done ultra marathons. I've done uh, multiple regular marathons, et cetera, et cetera. So, frankly, anything that is challenging, um, both mentally and physically, I enjoy doing. How do you take those skills, uh, those mental fortitude skills, and apply them as an insurance leader? Everything carries over, as as odd as that may sound. But you know, when you're uh, doing an Ironman, you know, it's 140.6 miles uh, in the race. Um, it is about mental toughness, right? And, and a lot of that you carry over into your job. Frankly, particularly over the last three years, when you look at all the issues that we've had to deal with with the pandemic and the economic issues, et cetera, you know, you have a, a sense of, number one, confidence and self-reliance, but also relentlessness and perseverance that really carry on into how you lead a company forward, right? It's the fact that you don't give up. There's always uh, different ways you could figure out to get to your objective. And so to me, that that's always been um, uh, very important. 
so I'm fascinated with this, the background with your work uh, against the, the narcotic industry. There must have been some scary times then. And I'm thinking there's got to be scary times when you're jumping out of an airplane, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, look, um, you know, anytime that you're getting out of an airplane at 12,000 feet, um, you know, you got to be very sure that you packed your parachute correctly, that all the straps are on right, that, you know, you've practiced all your emergency measures, et cetera, et cetera, because things happen fast, right? I mean, you're coming down at terminal velocity, <laughs> and so you only have really a few seconds to react. But that's part of the fun for me, right? It's uh, that sense of self-reliance um, that you can do these kinds of things. I mean, look, with the government, it was the same way, right? I mean, you were dealing with people that um, were clearly not upstanding citizens, um, and violence for them uh, was a fact of life, um, and you were threatening their livelihood by doing the things that we were doing. But that also brings a lot of lessons into what I do today, right? Because you learn how to think first before you react, um, and you learn that, you know what, if you can get to these through these kinds of things, you can pretty much do anything. Um, and so that's very useful to me uh, as I run a company now. As, as many times as I've spoken to you, you always have a very calm persona. How do you do that? How do you maintain that calmness? Yeah, no, look, I, I, I think part of it is your personality. Part of it is what I learned over time, that keeping a clear head, particularly in difficult circumstances, is the most important thing that you can do. If you overreact to a situation, if you um, react without understanding what the consequences are, um, that's a very bad thing, and, and potentially in a, in a life, uh, uh, you know, uh, in death kind of situation. So it's who I am, you know, so I'm a clear thinker. I don't get uh, frazzled. Um, you know, I keep my cool. I don't get angry too often. And, um, and most importantly is, you know, especially when you're leading large groups of people, they want to know what they get on a consistent basis. They, you know, good leaders should not be a volatile person. You should not have a volatile personality. Um, people need to know that if they come see you at 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night, they're going to get the same one every time. <laughs> and that's very important. I think that's comforting to people as well. So I think all of that ties together. And if I can take you back to those early days at AIG, uh, where, what did you think of the insurance industry? What was your first impressions there as <laughs> an adrenaline junkie? <laughs> you were getting right into the, the meat of underwriting then, right? So It was really eye-opening in so many ways, right? Because when, when you were working doing the things that I was doing, a lot of teamwork, a lot of camaraderie, an incredible sense of mission, um, an incredible sense of purpose. Um, the private sector has that, but not to the same degree. And uh, that was really the first time that I was introduced to, you know, a, a lot of competitive behavior, good and bad, within the office environment. Um, you know, in, in my days working for the government, you weren't thinking about how you make money. You were thinking about how you, you know, stop drugs or save lives and, you know, those kinds of things. And all of a sudden, the motivation was very different. It's, uh, you know, how do you turn a profit? But the good news was, is I was working for some very good people, and um, they really helped me with that transition. And uh, they were great as far as mentoring and developed me into an underwriter. And ultimately, that's what opened up my career path within the insurance industry. And can you tell us about that career path? You went on to join yeah. several other insurers. I started my career with AIG, and, um, and I worked with them for a number of years. Um, after that, um, I went to work for Progressive Insurance, and, and that was really an interesting story because when I joined them, they were only about a $2 billion company. 
When I left about 10 years later, they were about 15 billion. So it was a period of time that was very interesting in, in their journey. And after a progressive, um, I went to work at the Hartford. And one of the, the coolest things, I think, in my career happened during those, t- those days. And I used the, the expression, it was a cool experience, because for me, it was great to see really the impact that, that you have on people when you're running a large claims operation, uh, how you can help them through, you know, just very difficult times, whether it was Katrina back in 2005 or, you know, whatever it happens to be. When you're working in claims, you get to see people during their worst times in their life sometimes, right? But you really get to see the impact of the industry and what you can do. So to me, that was very good. One of the, the most amazing things about our industry, Meg, are the people, the, the folks that you get to work along the way. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for people like Ramani Iyer, who was the chairman and CEO of the Hartford at the time. Um, he was very kind to me. He was a, a great mentor. I have a lot of respect for him uh, still to these days. Um, and then from the Hartford, I went to work at ACE. Um, and then Ace eventually bought Chubb. And so uh, I went to uh, Ace to work on uh, domestic as well as international kind of businesses. When we acquired Chubb, uh, I became more focused on the international side. And uh, for me, it, it goes back to um, the original questions you were asking me about my dad. I love learning about different cultures, different business environments, being able to negotiate and deal and just meet people from all over the world. Plus, I love to travel. So that part of it was just outstanding. And then after uh, Chubb, I got the opportunity to come to Everest and become the CEO. And I started at a great time right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us about that? What was it like coming on just before COVID? I mean, I would think it's always challenging taking the helm of a company in good times. And here you are with a remote staff just a few months after you started. Yeah, no, it, it, it had its challenges. I, I tell people that I'm a COVID CEO, right? You know, it, it's interesting. I started um, in Everest in the fall of 2019, and that part of it was excellent because it was part of an organized uh, CEO transition. And so I was able to have a couple of months with my predecessor. But it was also an opportunity to to travel around the world, which I did, um, meet a lot of our employees, and frankly, start developing some relationships with people, which... Those few months proved invaluable uh, later on because when I became the CEO on January 1st of 2020, by March 14th, I I had to send everybody home and shut the company down, uh, at least from a brick and mortar type standpoint. And it was those relationships that I was able to make at the beginning that I think really paid off. But it was very different, right? I mean, you're in an environment where I think most of us grew up um, in the office, brick and mortar, you know, face to face, uh, particularly what we do in, in our industry. And all of a sudden, we all had to adapt. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. I remember uh, in the early days, um, the IT department used to want to put a camera in my office, and I would always take it out. <laughs> it's like, I don't want a camera. I don't need a camera. And so here comes the pandemic. We're all working remotely, and I had to learn how to use the camera. <laughs> and so we, we all had to adjust our, our styles uh, to be able to do that. But I give a lot of credit, frankly, to our employees here at Everest. Uh, It's such a great culture, such a resilient group of people. And we all adapted well. Um, You know, frankly, we never missed a beat. And and we were able to keep uh, the company going and, frankly, thrive and grow and and do all the things that we needed to do. We just had to do them differently. And frankly, I think that's one of the things that you go back to what I learned in in my prior life is that you have to adapt and you have to overcome, right? And, um, And I think we did that pretty successfully. 
since you've taken over Everest, you've expanded the company quite a bit. You've gone into new lines, new areas. Can you tell us about that? I'm a big believer in diversifying the company, right? Basically not putting all your eggs in one basket. And to me, that basically means having a very vibrant reinsurance business, but also having a very strong primary insurance business. It also means being in different geographies, different lines of business, et cetera. So one of the key components of, of our strategy when I started was really further diversify the company so we could create a more sustainable stream of earnings. And we have done that. So on the reinsurance side, a big part of it was managing our uh, natural catastrophe volatility by growing in different areas. So we have grown in, in the casualty lines and specialty reinsurance. We have gone into new markets and deepened existing markets. But we have also put a focus on growing the primary business. And um, I think that's also a, an incredible story because I think that team has done a, a very good job. You know, the, the original business was really created in North America, particularly in the U.S. But now what we're doing is also taking a lot of those lessons learned and really taking them overseas. Frankly, that's been my background as, as we talked about. It's been my experience. And so just in the past year alone, we opened up offices in, in Paris, in Dusseldorf, um, in Madrid, in Singapore, in Santiago. And the whole idea is, again, just to have a, a more geographically diversified business. And the rationale is pretty simple. You know, different economies have different cycles. And so when an emerging economy is doing well, developed economies may not. And so you want to be able to have many oars in the water at different points in time. The other part of it is that um, I think there was a need for our products and our capabilities, right? If, if you look around the competitive set that's out there, many of our competitors were inwardly focused. The market happened to be good. We didn't have any legacy exposures that they had. And so it was a tremendous opportunity for us to come in and, and provide value to customers in these local geographies. So those are examples of, of really what we have done in the last three years. If there was anything you could change about the insurance industry, what would it be? I think we have to adapt faster, Meg. And, and what I mean by that is just look back at the, the last three years, right? We've had a pandemic, the onset of incredible cyber attacks around the world. We have a war, we have economic issues, we have all kinds of things happening right now. There's emerging risk. There's also a, a significant transition, probably the, the biggest shift in capital since the Industrial Revolution has taken place in front of our eyes, and that's basically the transition to cleaner energy. And so as an industry, we got to figure out how do we better deal with these emerging risks and these incredible opportunities that are also presenting themselves in front of us. You know, as underwriters, we tend to look in the rearview mirror, right? We tend to price based on loss history and past exposure, track records, et cetera. And that's great. That's tried and true. But we also have new tools now, right? We are dealing now with things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and just tremendous data capabilities that we didn't have when, when I was growing up in the business. And so the key is how do we use these kinds of things, these new tools that we have to more proactively and better understand risk so we become more forward-looking as opposed to rearward-looking, right? At the end of the day, our clients and customers need help. And they need help from new risks, new perils that are developing almost every day. And so I think what you're going to see, frankly, um, in the next decade is probably more change than we saw in the last century when it comes to how companies adapt, 
how technology is better used, et cetera. So I would think that's probably the most important thing that we need to do as an industry is really, frankly, be a bit more forward-looking uh, on how we take risk. So these kinds of things um, are, are very relevant to our environment. And it's a little bit part of what I was saying before is that even though that uh, it seems like the world is in a permanent crisis these days, the reality is there's still a lot of opportunities um, that are out there if you're smart enough, nimble enough to be able to go after them. And there is first mover advantage in some of these, right? And so we keep a very close eye on, on these kinds of things. So you've been in the insurance industry now for some time. You must like it. Uh, can you tell us what is your favorite thing about the insurance industry? Yeah, no, it's I'm, I'm passionate about it. I think it's I'm coming up on thirty years, um, and and I love it. Look, uh, you know what I tell people is number one, what I love about it is I think we really do have a noble purpose, and that is helping people. That is what we do. That's what I used to tell my kids when they were little, and they would ask me what I did for a living. If you think about um, a hurricane like Ian, which you know devastating for Southwest Florida, um, those economies and those people are going to get back to normal because the capital of companies like ours is not going to be the government that's doing that for them. And so that's what I mean when we help people. You know, when businesses have issues, when consumers, individual consumers have issues, it's the insurance industry that's there to help them. So to me, that's that's a great part of it. You know, the, the passion, too, is the intellectual challenge, right? It's, um, it's a very complex industry. You never know what's going to be on the other end of that phone line. Um, and so mentally challenging. And to me, that's exciting as well. The other part of it, and, and we've talked about it a little bit today, is, is the people. I mean, we really are in a people industry. And I can honestly say that some of my best friends I've met in the industry, I've known them for years. Um, you know, the way uh, we collaborate, the way we talk, um, I, I think that's it's an incredible thing, right? And, you know, the relationships that you build over time. And I think it's 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 a great industry to come into if you're a young person coming out of college because there's so many careers that you can pursue here, right? I mean, if you can have a former journalism CEO, uh, major now be the CEO of a large global insurance company, anything can happen, right? But this is an industry where, you know, marketing people can have a great career here, actuaries, mathematicians, salespeople, underwriters. Um, and so to me, it's great because unlike other industries where you have to be a certain type, you have to go to a certain school, study a certain uh, major, that's not the case with us in this industry. And so you get a lot of diversity of thought, uh, which I think is terrific. Juan, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Meg. Always good to talk to you. Thank you. So what have I learned? I learned Juan Andrade has a very interesting background. He is an adrenaline junkie and a risk taker, but has such a calm and measured approach to risk, a very thoughtful approach which is why he was able to rise to take the helm of Everestry. I'm also inspired by Juan's passion for the insurance industry, how he sees it as a noble purpose, and his goal of getting ahead of emerging risks rather than looking into the rearview mirror to see what has happened in the past. For more information on property casualty insurers, please visit our website, insidergage.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. And you can register on our website to be notified of future episodes when I'll speak to another industry leader to share their insight and their story of how they rose to the C-suite. Thanks to Juan Andrade for sharing his story with us today. For our producer, Richard Myron at Earshot Strategies for always making us sound good. 
and my Euromoney colleagues, Celine Frost, Kareem Magaro, Michelle Heatherly, Emma May, Goran Pancic, and Pierre Agavala for their help and support. For Insider Engage, I'm Meg Green.